Welcome to the sermon podcast from North Decatur United Methodist Church, where all are welcomed and included, connected with God and with one another, and sent out in service and invitation to the world. Each week we bring you the most recent sermon from me, Patrick Fallhaber, or from guest preachers. Thank you for listening and subscribing. I remember the first time that I was scared. Um, the first time I have a really clear, distinct memory of being scared was when I had surgery on my right ear. I had developed, for some reason that I really don't have any memory of, an absolute terror of needles. And so when we were getting ready for my surgery, where they would um, make an incision and they would actually, they folded my ear over and removed all of the stuff, the stirrup and the anvil and the eardrum and all the other stuff in there. So I actually can't hear my right ear. But I remember when we were preparing for that surgery, I remember going to the doctor's office and learning that I was going to need to give some blood. And I was horrified by the idea of someone sticking a needle in my arm, but not only that, sticking a needle in my arm and then taking blood away. So I fought and I fought and I fought and I fought. Eventually they needed to call in extra nurses to try to hold me down. And then after they called in those extra nurses, it still didn't stop me from um, fighting. So then my dad got involved and I ended up fighting my dad and um, breaking skin and he started bleeding. And it turned into this whole mess where five nurses were apparently piled on me and my dad was on top of me just so they could get a little bit of blood so they could run all of the tests that they needed to run to ensure my safety for this surgery. It's my first memory of being scared. And, you know, looking back now, I guess you'd say pretty easily that, you know, if you fight, run, or freeze when you're scared, uh, my youngest memories, I'm apparently a fighter. The next time I remember being scared, there was a little bit more um, thought to it for me. My first time when I had surgery, I was five years old. So I don't remember thinking about it much, but when I was older, maybe 14 or 15 years old, I was um, working at the barn uh, where I rode horses and you know cleaned stalls and cleaned out manure and fed all the horses. So I was there early one day um, and there was a thunderstorm rolling over at the same time and I was trying to get all of the horses to go from the field back into their stalls so that I could feed them and so that I could get them out of the storm. Well, the horses were terrified of the lightning and thunder and they did not understand what I was trying to get them to do. What they saw me trying to do was confine them in a small space with a bunch of lights flashing all around before sunrise. So they were justifiably terrified. And because they were terrified, I remember being absolutely terrified too. And there's something about horses where they pick up on the energy of the people who are around them. And I did not help make things better, but I remember bringing the horses into a, um, the way the barn was is you could bring them into the stall straight from the field without having to go through any other like hallways or anything. So I brought the horse into this large gated stall and I started closing it just as another bolt of lightning hit. 
And when that bolt of lightning hit just on the other side of the barn, the horse in that stall took off and ran straight over the top of me. And while that was scary, the thing that was scariest for me was that I woke up, <laughs> I woke up after the sun had come up, the storm had gone by, and the horses were out in the fields eating grass. And when I woke up, I remember first thing feeling my head and uh, noticing um, bits of dried blood along with some uh, not yet dry blood. And in that moment, I remember being terrified, genuinely scared. I remember rolling up in my stomach that fear, that anxiety, that concern. Um, and what was interesting is I, um, <laughs> this is something I'm good at. I'm uh, apparently good at sort of dissociating, which is not something to be proud of, but <laughs> I remember my fear, at least the way that I articulated it to myself at the time, I was most scared that I had like let down the people for whom I was watching their horses. I felt like I had done something wrong by being, uh, you know, run over by a thousand pound animal. I remember being um, embarrassed that I would let something like this happen. And I remember um, very quickly, even with that knot in my stomach, just trying to go about uh, to finish the rest of my chores so that I wouldn't get in trouble for not finishing my chores on time. Um, and so that's what I did. I washed my face. I brought the horses that were out grazing in the field back into their stalls. I um, went uh, and made sure everybody, all the horses were fed and I cleaned out all the manure and then I called my parents to pick me up and I went on my way and didn't tell anybody anything about being run over by a horse until much later that evening. So we just went about our day. I pretended everything was fine and we actually went to a theme park that afternoon and um, I rode on roller coasters and had a grand old time. And then later that evening, I told my parents just that I had a headache. And when they asked me what had happened and why I had a headache, I remember even then being embarrassed um, and um, scared that they would think that I let them down in some way by getting myself injured by being run over by a horse, right? It's laughable now, um, but it's a really interesting thing about the way that I handle difficult situations. I dissociate from what's actually happening inside myself and instead just try to pretend everything is fine. So I think obviously that's not the way I would hope I responded to things that scared me, but it's the way that I responded to that moment. And looking back, the moments that have scared me in big ways and in small ways, I have some patterns around the way that I respond. You know, I tend to make my myself, my own health, my own um, experience, I tend to diminish it and sort of disassociate for myself and just think about the next thing that I should be doing to just sort of make it go away. If I don't notice it, it won't be a thing. You know, um, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't need to be a thing. And so I've had to be very intentional about being present so that when I am in another difficult, scary circumstance, 
I might have those habits and internal resources to be able to stay present with myself and with my surroundings um, so that I can be there. But without that preparation, without um, that like intentional work, without knowing how you respond um, when you're scared, there's really no way to know what you would do. Uh, and that's one of the many reasons why I love the passage that was read first today, because we get to see that play out, right? Peter describes in uh, chapters before this, Peter describes uh, beautifully how he is 100% committed to following Jesus through the good and through the bad times. There is nothing that would separate Peter from following directly behind in Jesus's footsteps. He misunderstands Jesus all over the place. He tries to do the best he can, but um, he, if there's one thing about Peter, is he's consistent in saying, yes, I will follow that man. And so that's uh, how they go into it, right? So like Jesus is in the upper room. He's talking with his disciples. It's the last time he'll share a meal with them. And he starts describing how he's going to die and he's going to die alone with no one else around him. And Peter stands up and just shuts that down. He says, there is no way you're gonna be alone when you die because I am gonna be hanging right there next to you. There's not a chance that I would abandon you. There's no way I will be there through thick and thin no matter what. And Jesus, I think with the heart of compassion, looks at Peter trying to prepare him for what's coming. And Jesus looks to Peter and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have already denied me, denied knowing me three times. And Peter's like, no chance, no way. There's no way that's going to happen. And what do we see? That's, that's exactly what happens. We see that Jesus understands Peter and even more than Peter understands himself. And we see that Peter did not yet know he, how he would react in a time of trauma. And there's no judgment for that. It's just a reality. None of us know what we will do when we experience trauma until we've experienced it. And none of us know how to prepare ourselves until after we understand what we've done before. Peter and this really painful experience of trauma, watching his friend be taken away from him, being pulled from one house to another so frequently that it's kind of hard to keep track of where Jesus is. I think we find ourselves overwhelmed alongside Peter in this story, caught up in the trauma of this moment where this man, this nonviolent leader, gets pulled from one authority to another, continuously being um, accused of crimes that he is not guilty of. So Peter, overwhelmed by this tidal wave of societal pressure towards crucifying Jesus, starts to dissociate, Try, starts to respond from fear, starts to behave very human-like. So 
so out of Peter's fear, justifiable fear. Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. And what's interesting, and this is where I feel like I, I personally identify with Peter in a way that doesn't always make me feel great, is that even though Jesus told Peter what was going to happen, Peter was filled with so much shame about it happening that he will not forgive himself until after the resurrection. And not only that, but even after the resurrection, while sharing a meal around another campfire, Jesus has to remind Peter three separate times that he is still loved, that he is still a disciple, that he still would be the one to lead all of the disciples in shaping the world around the kingdom of God that Jesus had been proclaiming through their whole friendship. See, Peter's fear being scared made him, fill, filled him with so much shame that he couldn't even be present with Jesus again in the next interaction. It took work. And I think for a lot of us, when we respond to situations with fear, one of the first reactions is for us to experience shame. Well, I don't even want to put that on you. I think many of us don't know how we will respond to trauma until we are experiencing it. But what I do know, what my faith teaches me, is that regardless of how you may respond, There is nothing that would keep you from the love of God through Christ, aside from the shame itself. There may be things in your past or in your present that you just cannot look at. You cannot allow the light to touch because you've carried it in a way that used to feel like guilt and now feels like shame. And so Jesus stands just like he did with Peter after the resurrection before you, reminding you of the love that God has for you. There's nothing that we could do that would shock God, that would surprise God. What tends to get in our way is our own sense of guilt, our own sense of shame, our own sense of needing to carry the power, our own sense of our own unwillingness or inability to let go, either of our past or of our circumstances in the present moment. So I would just encourage you as we reflect on this heartbreaking passage in John's Gospel about Peter denying Jesus three times, to see the long picture, to take notice of the ways that God shows grace to each of us, so that we all might begin to trust in the resurrection. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon from North Decatur United Methodist Church. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. And if you want to learn more about our church, you can visit us at ndumc.org.